You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. We are in the season of Lent, uh, the 40 days leading up to Easter, and we're focusing on the Lord's Prayer. I, I do hope that as we walk through this 40, day, 40 days, whether you're observing it uh, with maybe giving up something or fasting something, or whether it's just a, a matter of just being mindful uh, as we make our way toward uh, remembering Jesus and his sacrifice, his crucifixion, and of course the celebration of his resurrection on Easter Sunday. I hope that prayer is going to be a vital part and is a vital part of how you are walking through this season. Uh, we are focusing on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, in Luke 11, we find uh, that Jesus, some of Jesus' disciples asked him specifically, Lord, we want you to teach us how to pray. And he responded with what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And it's a trusty frame, a trustworthy framework for learning how uh, to have an ongoing conversation. We talked about that, the simple conversation with, with our Heavenly Father that prayer is meant to be for each one of us. It's not to be something that we're afraid of. It's not something to feel that we're in an inadequate to do. Uh, because I have been around you guys. You have words. You all have words, right? We all have words. And so it's about directing those words to our Heavenly Father who loves us, who is for us, and it's about listening to Him and opening our hearts and waiting before Him uh, to hear His response. Uh, He is our Heavenly Father who loves us perfectly, and He desires intimacy with us. And so um, I I hope that you will engage uh, more fully in prayer in this season, and we want to give some focus to the Lord's Prayer to help us do that. Uh, It is a a trustworthy framework for helping us to develop our prayer life. Jesus included uh, an extended version of what we know as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. It was part of his Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to read from that again this morning because that's the basis of our whole series that we're doing uh, throughout the Lenten season. Matthew 6, chapter 9, this, Jesus said, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, If you were here last week, you know that we began at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer with our Father in heaven. And this is a reminder that our God desires intimacy with us, and he wants us to know him as the loving Abba, the loving Daddy, the loving Papa that he is in heaven for each one of us. But then today, as we continue the prayer, we're going to be praying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so, This God who loves us intimately and is calling us to just basically come and just sit in his lap, if you will. We also want to be reminded that he is the God of the universe. He is powerful. He is majestic. And we are to bring those two realities together. Uh, Our loving heavenly father who is also uh, the the great God of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing, 
all present. And it has been said that when we hold these two incredible realities together, that we begin to understand what Christianity and living the Christian life is really all about. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit who teaches us and helps us in our prayer to come and do just that this morning. Holy Spirit, we have welcomed you with our worship and we will continue to do that. And we ask that you would come in all that you are this morning. And we ask that you'd come and that you would help us to pray, that you would help us to to be more faithful prayers. We pray, God, that no matter where we are with you, that you invite us to draw near. So Holy Spirit, come and, and just awaken our minds, our hearts, our spirits, our senses to you and to your love and to your goodness, to your power, to your majesty, to all that you are. And draw us near to your heart this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The pairing of these two, the call to intimacy with, with Abba, Father, Papa, God, combined with that call to worship the great God of the universe, simultaneously this call does not belittle our human need, our human frailties, uh, our, our human situation, the plight of our sinfulness. Hallowed be your name is both a call to worship God for who he is, but it's also an invitation for us to experience him in all that he is. It's a both and. It is, it's that call to worship, to draw near, to worship the great and awesome God uh, that, that created the universe, who is and will always be, and it at the same time is an invitation for us to experience him in all that he is right in the midst of our human need. And I don't know what that looks like for you today, but I know just hearing about stuff going on in all of our lives this week, there's a lot of human need that's represented just in this room today. And our God is faithful, our, our majestic, powerful, incredible God. He is available to us. He is worthy of the worship that we would give him for being all that he is. And he also desires to draw near to us. So when we, we come to worship God, we are called to the throne of God. Have you ever thought about the throne of God as an actual place? You know, because when we worship, we're just not worshiping something out there somewhere. Uh, the Apostle John gives us a very beautiful and powerful picture of this throne in Revelation, the vision that God gives him uh, describing the glorious, majestic throne of God and all the incredible worship uh, that is going on all around it. You can read more intently of that whole Revelation chapter 4 chapter. Uh, with, with hallowed be your name, Jesus is inviting us to this very place, the throne of God, and not just in an imaginary sense, but he's also inviting us uh, as children of God to welcome and make that throne in our own hearts and in our own lives. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 22, uh, verse 3. Uh, he says, Yet you, O God, are holy, you who are enthroned on the praises of Israel. So in our worship, we are actually uh, constructing a, a throne in which God can come and dwell on the praises of his people. 
So the worship of hallowed be your name is God's assigned way. It's his plan. It's his prescription, if you will, for bringing his presence and his power to his people. And just as we say yes, is just as we choose to enter into uh, God's presence with worship, God in his love and his goodness and his kindness, he responds. He faithfully responds by meeting us and coming into our presence. So our worship welcomes and invites God's rule and reign in our midst. So in worship and prayer, we do There's a lot going on, but the two things that that we see in our Father uh, in heaven, hallowed be your name, uh, we are declaring God's transcendent greatness, and we're also inviting him to change us in our situations. It's a both-and prospect, because I got to tell you, sometimes I know that we come to worship, and we've had a really crappy week, all right? And it's like, does sometimes does it feel like inauthentic? It's like, okay, God, I'm here declaring your greatness, but I haven't felt a lot of it this week. I haven't witnessed or sensed it or seen a lot. You ever been there? Has that ever, that ever happened? Yeah. And it's like, okay, is that wrong? Is that hypocritical? And, you know, is that spiritually bipolar? I mean, what, you know, is that, what is that? No, it's not at all. It is not at all. It is a reality. It's the reality. You know what? Whether I sense it, whether I experience it, I know that God is God, that God is all-powerful. He is great. He is mighty. He is loving. He is good. And maybe my experience of that week did not have me you know, just overwhelmed with the love of God. Maybe his love seemed far away but I can know and I can live in and I can trust. And when I pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, I am, I'm declaring something that is, and simultaneously, I'm inviting the, the, the experience of that reality into my heart, into my life, and into my situation. And this is the dynamic the Apostle Paul is writing about uh, to the Corinthian church, this idea of, of welcoming the manifest presence of God and having the, the experience of God's presence change us and transform us. He puts it this way, he said, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we do that both. We, we're, we're not being... Uh, spiritually bipolar, and I hope that's not offensive to you. I'm not taking that lightly. But sometimes we do. We feel like, am I up? Am I down? Where am I? And yes, yes, yes. And this week, this week has been that way for a lot of us. It's been a, a, just a lot going on. But God has remained faithful and good and loving and kind. Our strength, our comfort, our peace, everything in the midst of that, even as we walk through things that we, where we're not experiencing the fullness of that. With our worship, we proclaim God's greatness, and our worship welcomes his transforming power to our lives. And this is another example of the goodness of God and the generosity of God that, okay, we, we're, we were created to worship God. He is great. He is mighty. He is worthy of our worship, period. End of story, except God hasn't made that the end of the story. In his generosity and his goodness and his love, he welcomes us to worship him. It's all about him. It is not about us. But in his love and in his kindness, what does he do? He turns, he makes it about us. 
He says, okay, you come, you worship me. You welcome my presence with your worship. When you declare that, God, you are good, and God, you are loving, God, you are peace, you are healer, even in my sickness, I declare this because I know that you are, and you have a track record, and you have proven that you are our healer, even as I walk through this sickness. But I, as I do that, I'm proclaiming these truths, and God's manifest presence comes and he begins to make that worship experience to our benefit. We, we experience his presence. We experience his nearness, his love, his kindness, his healing. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're declaring, God, your name is holy. Holy be your name. We're asking that God's name be honored in our lives and in our situations. And this thing of holy, hallowed, hallowed means holy. Uh, hallowed equals holy equals complete. Uh, yeah, these, sometimes this, these, these words sort of lose their, they, they become very fixed to Scripture, and really we don't, we don't let them just burst out into our hearts, into our lives. But this is really what, what, what Jesus is talking about here. You know, often in the church we think of holy or holiness only as an external characteristic that is largely based on what we can see and what people do and what they don't do. My parents grew up in a holiness church, and, and I remember them talking about, you know, so much of your standard of holiness was what you did and what you didn't. And at the time, if you went to high school football games, you weren't holy. And if you went to the movie theater, you weren't holy. And ladies, if you wore makeup and certain clothes, you weren't holy. Now, this was the same group of people who many years later didn't allow a, a college Christian college choir to come because they had African-American members. So it's like, all right, holiness? A very weird, very flawed view of, of, of holiness. And so, and sometimes when we think of holiness, it's intimidating uh, or makes us feel disqualified in terms of that we have to, that we can't even be near God because we know we're not good enough to earn God's approval or his, his pleasure. But we might even think that God's holiness is an obstacle that God created himself to keep us at arm's length. And that's a lie of the enemy. God, he, he desires to draw us near. As I talked about last week, we were created in intimacy for intimacy with God, and that's his idea. But God's holiness is not an obstacle to uh, him accepting us, but rather God's holiness is actually a resource for our completion and our fulfillment as his children, that his kingdom purposes would be fulfilled in us, not by our good works or not by our self-improvement, but through the work of the Holy Spirit transforming us, making us more and more like God. So holy or holiness is more about completion. It's about God's completeness, that there is nothing lacking in God. He lacks for nothing. He is whole. He is the epitome of whole. He needs nothing else. He is full. He is complete. And it is God's nature to give and to share his being with us, we were made in his image, and he wants to impart his holiness or his completeness to us to transform us. 
And so when we hear scriptures like the one that, that God spoke uh, to, uh, to Israel uh, back, in, when they were, uh, back in the Old Testament in Leviticus, he says that I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. That's not something that's just on us. That's not something that God's saying, okay, Inez, you got to do this in your own strength, in your own power. No, it's about us partaking of the holiness of God. And and so the apostle Peter repeats this in his letter in, in, in 1 Peter. He says, be holy because I am holy. And this is not an unattainable ask that God is, is giving to us. This is an invitation for us to experience God in his completeness, in his holiness, and to invite him to come and bring that about in our hearts and in our lives. Hallowed, holy, complete, holy be your name. Let's focus on on the name part of this, okay? Names are a big deal. Um, In Scripture, God reveals himself to us in his names, not only in his names, but also in his actions, in his character, in his promises. Uh, That is the way that we can, that's our plumb line, that's our gold standard for what we know of God and how he's revealed himself through his written word. And that's why it is so important for us to regularly read God's word, not just for the sake of checking off a a list of scripture uh, through some sort of spiritual habit, and that's a good thing, but we're reading to know God more and to understand more of who he is and who he's wanting to reveal himself to be to us. The Old Testament characters were said to actually live in their names. So when you read the Old Testament, you find some really interesting names, don't you? And they were not just the cool names that, you know, all the, all the hot parents were giving their kids in that generation. No, that wasn't the case at all. It's about what the names, the, the, what they signified, what they meant. Um, you know, think of Jacob, you know, Jacob and Esau, and the name was given to him Jacob, which means surplanter or like opportunist, not in a good way. And obviously, we see that in the way that Jacob lived his life. Similarly, Almighty God, who wants us to know him and to experience him, he has taken and given and revealed his names. He's capsulized his nature, his glory, and his, his excellence into the meaning of his names. And he wants us to know those names. And he wants us to worship him for the reality of who he is. And again, to simultaneously invite that reality into our situations and circumstances. God's name is holy. We worship him uh, because his name is holy. And one of God's good and loving blessings from our worship is that he makes us holy. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, holy is your name, we're declaring a truth in worship, and we're also simultaneously asking God to make that truth a reality in our hearts and our lives and in the world around us. So Jehovah, Jehovah, I am who I am. Remember uh, the story back in Exodus chapter 3 when God reveals himself to Moses in a burning bush. Uh, He reveals himself as the independent, self-complete, holy being that would deliver uh, Israel from Egypt's captivity. I am who I am, Jehovah. 
And then there are variations on that name that we see throughout the Old Testament. Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. In Judges 6, God is calling this, this man, the soldier Gideon, to take a small group of men to fight this massive army. And, and, and Gideon's very uncertain. He's very anxious. He's very unsure. And in the midst of Gideon's fear, God speaks peace. And he assures Gideon that he is not going to die, that he is Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. I've listed several of these names of God in your notes. I don't have time to go into all of them, but I would encourage you to to take some time and and look over those and begin to pray and acknowledge, God, you are the God of peace. But if you're going through deep anxiety right now, I want to encourage you to simultaneously invite the God of peace into your situation, into your circumstance. Jehovah Rapha, Rapha, the God who heals After God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt, they're out in the wilderness. We read in Exodus 15, they've crossed the Red Sea, they've entered into a desert, and for three days they cannot find water. And they finally find water, and guess what? It's bitter. And they are complaining to Moses, they're grumbling, they're griping. God shows Moses a particular piece of wood and tells him to throw it into the water. Moses, in obedience, does that, and the water becomes drinkable, and, and, and he reminds Moses and the children of Israel that he is the God who heals. And many of us today, maybe you're here and you're sick. Maybe you're in pain. And in some respects, it's almost like, okay, is this disingenuous of me to worship Jehovah Rapha? The God who heals as I'm standing here in pain or in discomfort? No, because the reality is God is the God who heals. Jehovah Rapha, he is the God who heals. And when we proclaim, hallowed be your name, we are proclaiming who he is, and we're simultaneously inviting him into our situations. So I want to encourage you uh, to, to pray scripture. As we go through this series on the Lord's Prayer, we're going to be also talking about different expressions of prayer and different resources to help us in our prayer. And, and I would encourage you, if you don't already regularly pray Scripture, uh, to, to begin doing so. Because when we let words from the Bible inform and become our prayer, we are actually praying a divinely inspired vocabulary. We don't have to wonder if we're praying in accordance with God's will. We are praying the very Spirit-breathed Word of God. There are a lot of great resources I could point to regarding praying scripture. Um, I'll just mention a few. Again, these are in your notes in more detail. Um, If you're needing help with finding right words for prayer on worship, go to the Psalms. You got 150 prayers. Just go to your Bible. If it's Old Testament, New Testament, just open it right up in the middle, and you got 150 uh, prayers and and, and songs of worship that that are there for you. And one of the reasons that I can, can know that maybe the ups and downs that we experience, that they are something that's been going on ever since the beginning of, of, of humanity after Adam and Eve fell, is that if you look at the Psalms, you see basically every kind of emotional expression, 
every kind of situation going on, the ups, the high highs, the low lows, and the, the everything in between. And they are there, and they all lead us to worship. They are honest. They are honest. And if you get nothing out of this whole series, I hope you hear this. God can take our honesty. He can take our honest hearts. In fact, that's all he wants. That's all he will receive. He's not into pretense. He is not into pretense. He is not interested in our religious show. He's not. So he invites us to come as we are, to come with our real, raw emotions at times, and to draw near to him with the fullness of our hearts. And the Psalms give us a wonderful mode for uh, expressing worship. And sometimes when you don't have it in you to pray, and we all have those days, I would encourage you just to go to the Psalms. Go to a psalm that may seem to jive with where you are, or maybe just pick a random one. And maybe in your car by yourself or in your office when you close the door or out in your backyard in the back corner where nobody's around, just take your Bible and, or your phone with your Bible on it and just express that to God. It's prayer, it's worship, and God will honor that. The psalms are our original prayer book. You know, Jesus incorporated psalms in his own prayers. And of course, you won't go wrong with praying the prayers of Jesus. And, and, and one of the primary ones that I would point you to is John chapter 17. Uh, the prayers of Jesus, they're tailor-made for deepening our relationship with Father God. He, he, the disciples knew there was something different about Jesus' prayer life. They knew how to pray as far as the temple was concerned. They had, most of them had had experience with that and had seen that. So when they asked Jesus, hey, you teach us to pray. They noticed there was a difference, and they wanted that difference in their own lives. So uh, Jesus' prayer to the Father as he's getting ready for his final days here on earth, it's powerful, and it's something that we can draw from and draw, and, 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 and drawing near to, to our Heavenly Father. The Apostle Paul, many of his letters include powerful prayers that we can use in, in, in our vocabulary for for praying for one another. The prayers of Paul expand our vocabulary for prayers of petition as we pray for ourselves, as we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I point you uh, to check out some of these resources. And just, you know, I, I remember when I first started like writing songs, you know, I, I listened to other, other songwriters. I listened to other musicians to get inspiration and you can do the same thing with Scripture. In fact, we don't want our prayers to, to take ra you know, radical departures from Scripture. That might be a little weird and go to some unhealthy places. We want them to line up. We want them to be in sync with God's Word. And so I encourage you to begin on those days, particularly when you don't feel like you have anything to express, go to God's Word, go to the Psalms, go to the prayers of Jesus, go to the prayers of Paul and make them your own. Hallowed be your name. It is both a call to worship God for who he is, and it's also the invitation to experience him in all that he is. Um, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, you hear me quote him a lot because I enjoy reading his stuff. It just really speaks to me. I like the, the vantage point that he comes from is uh, from N.T. Wright. He's an Anglican uh, priest, and he's a, a New Testament scholar. 
And he's written a, a book called The Lord and His Prayer. It's a short little book. It's, it's very helpful, very insightful. It's another one I would encourage you maybe to take a look at if you're wanting to read more. And I, I love the statement that he makes about specifically about the phrase, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He says that this is the pattern of Christian spirituality, the rhythm of standing in the presence of the pain of the world and simultaneously kneeling in the presence of the creator of the world, of bringing these two things, these two realities, bringing them together in the name of Jesus and by the victory of the cross, that we get to do that, of living in the tension of what he calls the double advent, that Jesus has come, we celebrate his birth, his life, and the second advent that we look forward to his second coming when he returns, that we live in the tension of that double advent, and as we wait, that we call God the Father, Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father. Not just Jesus' Heavenly Father, but our Heavenly Father. Father. 